Hello, it's TechBiter Worldwide, formerly Technology Corner, for the week of March 18th, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour. That's because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. This past week I was thinking about IBM and Microsoft and open source software, wondering if open source software is good enough yet to maybe be a threat to Microsoft. Well, that made me think about the past, because sometimes if you think about the past, you can get some ideas about the future. Twenty-some years ago, IBM was the unquestioned leader in what was at the time called Big Iron, those mainframe computers, the ones that ran businesses. Digital Equipment Corporation, also known as DEC, was the big dog in the little computer market. Microsoft had begun operating on the assumption that desktop computers would do a lot of jobs faster, better, and cheaper than mainframes and mini computers. DEC and IBM scoffed at them. Well, today DEC is essentially dead, and IBM has revived, but Microsoft is the current king. For how long, though? Looking back at the past, DEC was founded in 1957 by Ken Olson, he was an engineer, and by Harlan Anderson, another engineer. It was an engineering company. The company was responsible for making computers financially accessible to smaller companies. Desktop computers were the beginning of the end for DEC. In June of 1992, Olson was replaced by Robert Palmer as the company's CEO, Palmer had joined DEC in 1985 to run the semiconductor engineering and manufacturing section, but Palmer was unable to stem the tide of red ink. In 1998, what remained of DEC was sold to Compaq. Compaq was later acquired by Hewlett-Packard in 2002. International business machines, IBM. They date their history all the way back to the 19th century. Company manufactures and sells computer hardware, software, and infrastructure services. They also have hosting services, consulting services, but they no longer have a PC division that was acquired by Lenovo, a Chinese company, in 2005. And IBM is second to HP in total revenue. At the beginning, Microsoft stated its original goal as a computer on every desk and in every home running Microsoft software. That vision hasn't changed very much over the years. The company was founded to develop and sell a basic interpreter for the Altair 8800. Microsoft became a dominant player in the home computer market with MS-DOS in the mid-1980s, the operating system provided by Microsoft. Throughout its history, the company has been criticized for monopolistic business practices best described as Embrace, Extend, and Extinguish. That's the motto attributed to Microsoft's attitude toward any competing product or standard. Microsoft is unquestionably frightened by the Linux operating system. In fact, Microsoft sounds a lot like IBM did back in the 1980s when IBM was talking about Microsoft. Now Microsoft is talking the same way about Linux. Microsoft's opinion of all open software applications, such as OpenOffice, for example, is similar, and with a good reason. If a free operating system and a free Office suite are able to perform most of the functions of Microsoft Windows and Microsoft Office, then the long-term future for Microsoft 
is pretty dim. Is that threat real today? Well, no. Microsoft can do little more than play a delaying game, though. It will be true at some point. In the final analysis, open source applications will take over, just as Microsoft pushed IBM and DEC to the sidelines. It's a question of what's good enough and when that happens. If a $2,000 desktop computer was good enough for businesses in the 1990s instead of a $20,000 or $50,000 or $100,000 mini-computer, then might not open office be good enough for office workers today? Maybe it is. Open office is a viable alternative to Microsoft's Office Suite if you don't need any of the advanced features of Word if you don't need any of the advanced features of Excel, if you don't need much in the way of a presentation program, because Impress is a far cry from PowerPoint, and if you're able to fulfill your database needs with OpenOffice Base. For a lot of users, that's not the case right now. Microsoft is hoping to widen the gap with Vista and a new version of Office, but the trouble is Vista almost certainly will require a new computer, And the new version of the Office Suite is so different from the previous versions that even power users are going to be befuddled for a while. So it looks to me like there are three paths forward from this point. First is for people to upgrade to Vista and the new Office Suite. The second, continue to use current versions of the operating system and the current version of the Office Suite. Third, transition to Linux and open source applications such as OpenOffice. Essentially, Microsoft is betting the company on an operating system they developed without knowing that anybody really wanted it, and also on those office applications that are going to require significant effort for power users to relearn them. My feeling is that most of today's users will probably choose either the first or second option. That is, they'll either upgrade to Vista and the new office suite, or they'll just continue to use what they're familiar with, which is probably Windows XP and Office 2003. But as Linux and open source applications become more and more capable, business owners will look at the cost of the operating system, a couple hundred bucks or more for Microsoft, or free if they choose Linux. They will look at the cost of the Office applications, several hundred dollars for Microsoft, or free if they use OpenOffice, and they will choose the free applications. Microsoft will continue to talk about the total cost of ownership, TCO, but open source applications are on track to show that the TCO is actually lower for the free applications than for paid applications, because those applications are becoming good enough for people to use in a production environment, and because the user communities are becoming large enough that users are able to support each other. So for Microsoft, the long-term future is questionable. Speaking of questionable, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers has some questions about RegisterFly.com, some pretty serious questions. ICANN has actually ordered RegisterFly to terminate operations and allow anyone who registered a domain name with RegisterFly to remove the domain by the end of March. This week, ICANN told RegisterFly to cease operations as an ICANN-accredited registrar on March 31, 2007. Under terms of the registrar accrediting agreement, ICANN has to provide 15 days' written notice to anyone that they order to essentially go out of business. 
The message sent to Registerfly said effective immediately, ICANN has terminated Registerfly's right to use the ICANN-accredited Registrar logo on its website. However, as of this weekend, Registerfly was still displaying the logo after being ordered not to. According to an ICANN news release, between now and the 31st of March, Registerfly is required to unlock and provide all necessary auth info codes to allow domain name transfers to occur. Any and all registrants wishing to transfer away from Registerfly during the period should be allowed to do so efficiently and expeditiously. There are domain name registrars who offer a very low price initially and then suddenly raise their prices and don't allow people to transfer away from them. That may or may not be the case with Registerfly. I don't know. The president and CEO of ICANN, Dr. Paul Toomey, characterized the action as the strongest measure ICANN is able to take against Registerfly under its powers. ICANN has been trying to work with Registerfly to address complaints by the users, but the Florida company apparently failed to comply with agreements that it made with ICANN. When the agreement is terminated, ICANN can approve a bulk transfer of all current Registerfly domain names to another ICANN-accredited registrar, but ICANN has called on Registerfly not to wait until the end of the month. They can request ICANN to approve bulk transfer immediately, and Toomey said he calls on Registerfly to act in the interest of registrants and seek such a transfer from us straight away. Well, that's actually kind of good to know that ICANN is going after registrars when the registrars engage in corrupt business practices. In early news, WebEx, now part of Cisco Systems, Cisco will pay about $3.2 billion in cash to acquire WebEx Communications, the online meeting company. That's about $57 a share, more than 20% above the closing price on Wednesday, the day before Cisco made its announcement. The deal should close in this year's fourth quarter. Cisco, located in San Jose, is mainly known as a manufacturer of networking hardware. The company has been expanding into communications and social networking. WebEx, which is located just up the street in Santa Clara, has created applications for online conferences and secure instant messaging. WebEx claims more than half of the online meeting market and hosts more than 3.5 million people per month. Cell phones in hospitals. Here's a true or false question for you. You're visiting someone in the hospital. You have a cell phone. Should you turn off that cell phone because leaving it on might wreak havoc with medical devices and kill your friend? Some medical personnel, and these are often the same people who are standing right there using other radio-based communications devices that emit far more power than a cell phone, want you to believe that it's true. It's not. A doctor at the Mayo Clinic decided to try testing cell phones. What an interesting concept. He made about 300 tests, incoming calls, outgoing calls, talking, sending data, receiving data, and all of the medical devices that he tested suffered exactly zero instances of problems, zero. And he also tested the phones at their highest power levels. So the recommendation, relax rules against using cell phones in hospitals. On the other hand, if you wear a pacemaker, you might want to avoid retail stores that use electronic article surveillance, EAS, devices. These are the things that detect the presence of special tags in merchandise and set off an alarm if you try to leave with the tag still attached. It seems they can also cause implanted defibrillators to fire and pacemakers to malfunction. The problems are relatively minor, and there are no known cases of anyone actually being injured by EAS systems, 
but cardiologists say that store personnel should be trained to recognize the problems, and the Food and Drug Administration suggests labeling those EAS devices to warn people not to stand near them for extended periods and not to lean on them. Well, you can always lean on TechBiter Worldwide. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of March 18, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com, and you can send email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.